Welcome to the Integrity Soils podcast. I'm your host, Kim Deans. At Integrity Soils, we have a culture of ecological organisation and learning. The work we are in the world is the work we take on within the business based on a foundation of integrity and learning in what we do and what we produce. We continually challenge ourselves to learn and grow while having a whole lot of fun. In our work, we meet some of the most extraordinary people and we get the opportunity to share conversations with them here on the podcast. Today, our guest is Graeme Sait. Graeme is the CEO and co-founder of Nutritech Solutions, a world leader in sustainable agriculture. Graeme is also an educator and author of the popular book, Nutrition Rules. Graeme's course, The Certificate in Nutrition Farming, has reached over 40,000 farmers on four continents. Graeme is a sought-after speaker specialising in the linkages between soil, plant, animal and human health. And more recently, that emphasis has expanded to include planetary health in recognition of the profound link between soil humus and carbon sequestration. Graeme, it is wonderful to be speaking with you today. My husband, Angus, first completed your course over 10 years ago, and we both made the most of an opportunity to learn from you when you delivered your course in our local community in Inverell in New South Wales a few years ago. What we learned attending your courses has been a foundation in our regenerative agriculture journey, and I'm looking forward to you explaining more about your nutrition farming approach. Thank you, Kim. That's great. I thought I recognised you when we just had that little chat beforehand, and that's where it was. That I, yes. I knew your face, and I was trying to think where that's where, at Inverell, when we had the course there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's great. Yeah, I'm pleased to hear that. Yeah, it's been a um, big journey. I'm, I'm still travelling to about 30 countries a year, so it's, it's not the way to see the world, I promise you. That it all just becomes, it just flashes past. But so I'm trying frantically, you know, there's an urgency to spreading the word. I, if I had my choice, I think I'd, at this point in my life, I'd be, I'm just loving this process of these integrative, multi-dimensional farms that I'm developing. And I think I would be farming and perhaps staying at home and running my company and doing a bit of teaching from here. But there's a bit of a call for this message to be spread and I can't really sit back on the veranda and not do it because there's such an urgency. So I travel. I've just come back from Canada and the UK tour. Interestingly, quite different over there than here. Um, they've had ridiculous amounts of rain in the UK and in Canada to the point that there's hundreds of thousands of hectares of unharvested corn uh, and no one's planted in the UK with, with their winter crops and so forth because they can't get on the soil. So it's the complete opposite of the Northern Hemisphere to the hellhole we're having over here in Australia. So, yeah, and it's, you know, to go from minus 22, which it was in Canada, back to 38 here is quite a culture shock, but I'm getting well. Yeah, so the nutrition farming concept is basically recognising the link between the health of the soil, the health of animals, the health of people, and, and more recently, I've recognised the health of the planet. I mean, the simple message is that we are what we eat, and what we eat comes from a soil that's a shadow of what it used to be. So we're talking about basically the interrelationship between minerals, microbes, and humus. And when we look at that story and that interrelationship, we realize that there's actually a tremendously strong parallel between the story of soil, crop, and animal health and the story of human health. And of course, we're now recognizing, I mean, in, in 2000, there were 286 published papers on the human micro, microbiome. And last year, that had expanded with this massive explosion of interest to 2,760 studies. Uh, and this recognition, really, that you know, this tube that runs, we were thought of as a, as a sack of cells, essentially, as, as 10 trillion cells. First, cell ooze from the pre-Cambrian motion sat there thinking, this is pretty boring, uh, and started tagging on other cells till we got to, we're now thought of as this community of 
um, 10 trillion cells constantly communicating with each other and allowing us to what we do in our physical body. And of course, there's a whole separate thing relative to the soul and so forth. But so physically, we're a sack of cells, or so we thought. And then we've realized as we've understood the importance of this life within that we, there's, ten, there's 100 trillion uh, other cells. There's actually more of them than there is us, and that we are actually an integrated unit between two different life forces, and every aspect of our health is governed by the health of our life within sort of thing. And, and it's a similar recognition that, you know, got this army, this massive complex army of organisms living beneath the plant where it's really serving as the stomach for the plant. It's an external stomach rather than an internal stomach. But the substances produced by those organisms are almost identical to the substances produced by our gut organisms looking after their host us. In the case of the plant, the plant's feeding sugars on a daily basis, feeding these organisms, and it's very much a given, we shall receive relationships. So it's a very, very strong parallel um, between soil health and human health. And, it's, and we're sort of assaulted, you know, in the, in the human health scenario, it's about minerals and microbes, or nutrition and microbes, and then this, this intervening factor in the soil where we start talking about humus and how the three things interplay. But we've, we've sort of uh, assaulted our soil life uh, in much the same way that we sold our gut life. And we've got this scenario where, um, you know, there's massive issues. It's the, it's the largest single group of illnesses are related to digestive illnesses in the, in the Western world. And, and the longest living people, of course, are those that had more concern and have done things like eat fermented foods and so forth to top up um, this diverse community. And so it's, it's really strong parallel. So we talk, you know, within this approach, we talk about soil health, animal health, human health, and planetary health. It's an integrated approach. Yeah, it's really exciting, isn't it, to see it is all connected, everything. Yes, totally. um, was there any particular motivation that led you to develop this approach, Graham? Was there an aha moment that you well, know, there was a there was, journey? there was, it was a life-changing moment. I had a young daughter, a six-year-old, hit by a car outside of his school in Yumundi and horrifically I mean, 120 k's on a four-wheel drive hitting a six-year-old. You can imagine the mess. And it was terrible. She died a couple of times on the way to hospital and was in a coma for three months. And it's kind of life-changing when you're sitting there. And because she was an organ donor, we were asked on a daily basis whether, you know, little Susie could have her eyes and whether little Jane could have her kidneys and whatever other harvestable organs were there because she would never be more than a vegetable. And they asked us to turn off the machines. And my ex-wife wanted to and I didn't. And so um, we... You know, we hung in there and she's finally stabilized. And then at three months in, with the sort of machines you've come to know and hate, all started beeping. And they said, This is uh, this is brain death approach, and this is classic brain death approach. And so, I, I'm not conventionally kind of church going religious, but I have no doubts about the existence of a, of a greater force. And so, I, I kind of made a deal that if she should, I've never done anything like that before, but I made a deal that if she should survive against the odds. I would do something of value with the rest of my life. And then 20 minutes later, she came out of the coma and they headlined news across the country at the time. It was a miracle child they couldn't explain. And I had a sleepless night deciding what I was going to do with value. I didn't have any idea when I made the deal. And I, I developed this interest in, in the soil and, 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 and then that sort of embryonic recognition of the link between soil and everything. Uh, and so I decided that that would be a pretty important thing to develop expertise in soil, plant, animal, and human nutrition. So I began my journey. I've got degrees in psychology and sociology. It was actually good to come to it without any preconditioning because you could just look at the studies uh, and link things together and make your own call. And so 
that was that was the start of the the next day we formed um, my brother came to see Rachel I said this I've had that sleep this night and come up with this game plan he said I want to do that as well and we actually formed my company on that day so Wow. Uh, and so initially, we, we actually called it um, biological farming was the term that everyone was using at that point. And then about a decade ago, I was training a bunch of um, quite large-scale dairy farmers in a spe specialised four-day course just for the dairy industry. I did two or three down in Victoria um, and South Australia. And a bunch of people adopted the principles and had tremendous results. You know, started composting the dairy waste and balancing their soils. And, and recognised that they were producing a demonstrably superior milk, and they decided they would market that milk, and they were going to call it real milk, was going to be the name for it, from biological dairy farming. But unlike the rest of the industry, which was, I think it came from Gary Simmer, my friend at one point, who, who coined the term biological farming, and that's what we were all using, um, they brought in this marketing agent and asked like 10,000 people what they thought of that term, which none of us had ever done. And the average man in the street or woman in the street, when they heard that term, they thought of, guys in white coats tinkering with genes or they thought of biological warfare. It was actually a negative concept. So that's when I came up with the idea of recognising that it all came back to nutrition, that it's not bad luck when you get cancer or when you get an insect attack or a disease attack in your crop. There's a reason for it. And most commonly that region comes back to nutrition, which is minerals, microbes, and so on, minerals, microbes, and humus. And so uh, I think we it couldn't be sort of misconstrued that term. And so... Um, that's what we started calling it, and then we changed the name of the course to the Certificate in Nutrition Farming, and we've coined that term. And we've even got a certification that we've, we've just launched in India, uh, a Nutrition Farming Certification, which is quite, it's quite stringent, but unlike organics, where organics is this whole list of uh, what you can't do, in fact, the whole manual is you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this, and there's nothing about what you should be doing to be producing high-quality food with less pest pressure, this is the complete opposite. In fact, if you did five of these 14 things, you would produce pretty remarkable crops. But if you did them all, you really can't fail but, but produce. Uh, and so we, we launched this in India just last month, uh, and we've got our first nutrition farming certification, qualified people who are now marketing under that brand name. And we're going to do the, the road test in India and then look at, at, at uh, introducing that concept elsewhere. So that's, that's pretty exciting for what we're doing. That's really exciting and what an inspirational story. I find most people who transform agriculture have an aha moment and that is a very powerful one. So thank you for sharing that. Nutritech Solutions is committed to helping farmers improve their profitability and sustainability. Can you share a couple of your strategies for making farming more profitable, more sustainable and more enjoyable? Certainly, I mean, the, the big issue is the bottom line's profit and, and, and Many, many farmers are not profitable. I mean, it's horrifying at the moment in this drought to see the level of farmer debt. I mean, many of them have got well over a million dollars in debt now because the drought's been ongoing. But even outside of that, it's really, really difficult enterprise to, you know, you're involved. Food producers are without a doubt the single most important profession on the planet. I mean, to compare a farmer to a lawyer is, excuse for the lawyers, but it's a pathetic uh, example because, you know, the farmers are so much more important. There's nothing that becomes more important. And, what we've become, and how the models evolved, is that we've become basically, in the case of, say, vegetable and fruit producers, we've essentially become serfs to the supermarket dictators is where we're at. And so what we strive to teach growers is, is, is to become price makers rather than price takers, and sort of reclaim responsibility for your own enterprise because no one else is going to do it for you. And it's sort of where we're at with everything. And uh, that's where our society's at. We can't say, oh, um, someone else is going to look after our health, the, 
the multinational drug companies or the government, or, but they're not mm. going to. They haven't been for a while, and it's time to wake up and realise that it's time to reclaim your own responsibility for your own health and the health of your farm, the health of your business enterprise, the health of your soil, the health of your children, for that matter. That's where we're at from a social perspective. So some of the key points, um, you know, if you, the definition of the word science in Webster's Dictionary is adherence to natural laws and principles. And a lot of what we're doing in the name of science is actually anything but that. But if we look at science and if we say, okay, it's all about nature and learning from this perfect blueprint, what we find out is that the central driving principle of nature is diversity. And we kind of got it horribly wrong to do the opposite of that and buy into a monoculture model where the same plants feed the same organisms and the same pests and you create a downward spiral and cycle that we're creating. And so part of the model is, is you know, and it's a business model as well, is, is to try and pull away from the fickle nature of commodities and, and start, you know, basically creating this, this, uh, this model where, you, where it's kind of interrelated stacked enterprises. That's what I'm trying to uh, demonstrate on my own farms the viability, the economic viability of that concept, and it's so much more fun. If we, you know, we've got a scenario where the average age of farmers in Australia is 62, 64 in the US, 61 in the UK, and we've got to bring young people in there, and they're not interested in what my children would call boring shit, which is <laughs> chemical monoculture, you know, sitting on a, on a herbicide rig for half your life and so forth, growing one crop with all your money tied up in machinery that rusts, rots, and depreciates. It really doesn't make a lot of sense to them. But this model where you're stacking enterprises and you've got, you know, you're, particularly if you're creating your own market, so you've got the satisfaction of knowing who you're selling to and you've, you've got a role in their health and so forth, um, it, you, know, you can't help but have fun doing it because you can be as creative as you choose to layer enterprise on, on enterprise and escape with that whole, you know, you can grow the best melon crop or the best tomato crop in the world, you can do it brilliantly, but but make nothing, in fact, lose money because everyone else did it well that season and the price is nothing. So it's a, it's a whole concept of how you can become, a, as I said, a price maker. The model of getting bigger or getting out is changing and it may well be that we're almost at the point of diversification or getting out. So that's one of the points. One of the other points is value adding. It's a hugely, you know, we've got to get profitable. And I'm demonstrating that on my own farms. We've got a Nutrition Farms logo. We're building value-added range around that product. So say that we've got a big crop of garlic up at the Sandville farm. We're going to smoke, we're going to ferment, we're going to pickle. I've got a commercial kitchen, a portable commercial kitchen that allows that. Um, turmeric I grow on the subtropical farm. We, we took a ton of that and we dried it with this really good technique that a local company here has developed that we lose none of the nutrition. The active component in turmeric, for example, in turmeric curcumin, is really poorly available, but the big story is putting pepper, the active ingredient piperine and black pepper, and one study increased the uptake of curcumin 2,000 fold. So we, we made a powder called Curculife based upon uh, you know, our own organic, beautiful turmeric that's been converted to this powder with one of my Vietnamese organic pepper growers. We've brought in his pepper and we've combined them, and that has turned into quite a successful product. And so it's just teaching people all of those potentials. We grow bananas, the hardest part is is, is drying them and maintaining them, uh, sorry, ripening them and maintaining them. And now there's this whole new discovery that you can get uh, basically green banana starch, and, which means you don't have to go through the, the longest, hardest part to ripen them and keep them healthy to get them to the store. You can take them green. And we've got like a thousand banana plants, for example, on, on the subtropical farm, with, and there's a lot of bunches. Uh, and you send that off to that same company that makes the powder, and the banana starch is just so many findings, particularly relative to 
um, feeding up your, your good organisms in your gut with this prebiotic effect and so forth. And another crop that we're doing on both farms is called Yakons, which is actually the most powerful known prebiotic. It has so much potential and it's absolutely delicious. It's called the Peruvian apple. So it looks like a sweet potato, but it's crunchy and sweet like a cross between an apple and a pear. And it's filled with the two most powerful prebiotics to stimulate your good guys called fructooligosaccharides and inulin. So it's just like a medicinal food. And it grows, it's just pest free. It grows to two meters high like a huge you know, sunflower plant with these with these um, rhizomes attached to um, tubers on the bottom and the tubers like you're eating the rhizomes. So there's two income streams. You can sell the tubers and we sell them for like $20 a kilo because that's what you grow from. Sorry, not the tubers, the rhizomes. And the tubers for about seven, the edible tubers for about $7. So each plant can realize about $70 per plant. And like I'm putting in, I'm just in the moment planting about 2,000 of them. And that's just one of 50 enterprises for the plant for the farm. So that's what we're trying to teach people that there's uh, a variety. And then the other simple thing is just your choice of crop. I mean, I was at a meeting recently. There was two farmers who were next to each other. I'm looking at their soil tests. They're identical. One of them's growing wheat and one's growing spelt. The spelt guy is getting, you know, on dry land, pathetic yields, but dry land farming is getting like $80, $1,900 a hectare on virtually the same soil across the fence. The other guy's getting $400. And so I said, why would he be growing spelt? And he just went, oh, yeah. Because, you know, he'd always grown wheat and that's what you do. And it's just a simple rethink to actually look at, look, and there's often many, many options, but you just have to actually be looking for them rather than just say, this is the way my dad did it, this is what I've always done, and that's what we'll keep doing. So it's just getting people to look for those niche markets and realise some of the opportunities that are out there. So, yeah. yeah. And it's getting them to grow food instead of a commodity, isn't it, In when you're niche marketing as well? Yeah, like, yes, really, very, very yeah, much and, so. I really love that you're doing it as well as teaching it. Like, you know, we always can only take people where we can go ourselves. So by you implementing yeah. all of this in your own farms, it helps you take people along with you, which is really exciting, Graham. Yeah, um, and people don't realise that simple things like honey, we're like, we, yeah. each, each farm will house 25 hives and we get about 170 kilos. Well, that's 1,700 times 25, and that's one income, one income stream from currently we've got 25 that we're aiming for 50 enterprises. And so... You know, we've got our nutrition farms, honey is beautiful and, and it sells well. And so, you know, if you do the sums 25 times times 1,700, I mean, it's a, it's 35,000 or slightly more as one income stream. So it's, and that's what we're teaching that anyone can do that. It's not hard to be key. Yeah. That's quite fun. Well, it's exciting, isn't it? Um, yeah, what sort of results are you seeing the farmers that you work with across the world achieving who come to your courses and take action and, and then implement what they learn well i mean it's been a long time that we've been doing it now so i virtually can't travel anywhere it's so satisfying we couldn't really conceive of, of, of doing something more satisfying people say oh you know it's great that you're sacrificing your time there's no sacrifice i mean you're having the best fun you could ever have i mean yeah. i'm sure that there are a bunch of that, that asshole farmers exist, but I've never met one because the people who are interested in this approach are all these really intelligent, sparked up people that, that you just, you know, you, they, you, I guess you see the world through rose-colored glasses because the people who are interested in this change are the brightest and the best operators. And so it's, you know, you just meet so many wonderful people everywhere, but um, constantly people talking about, you know, improvements in their farming enterprise that are turned around what they were doing and they've got fun back into farming and they've got passion back in there. And, and also because I've had that focus on human health, it's quite considerable focus. It's 25% of the four-day courses are on how you can be 
live a happier, healthier, longer life sort of thing with less stress, which is a big part of the story. So, so constantly you hear that, oh, my son had this problem now solved and it's just so satisfying. But um, yeah, like in this most recent um, visit, there's, you know, you wouldn't believe how chemically intensive cereal production is in the UK. I mean, it's literally a list of 14 chemicals that go on during the season. Yeah. Uh, and we've got guys that have had completely chemical-free seasons now, second, third season in, um, who have have out-yielded the conventional, like everyone thinks if you do, do it chemical-free, there's a sacrifice. It's not the case. It's just a different road to roam, and you've got to understand that different road. I mean, I work with Driscoll's Berries, for example, who have got, I think, the largest organic growers in the world with a billion dollars of organic of their 3.5 billion turnover. Their organic division out-yielded, so obviously they make more money because of higher premiums, but they actually out-yielded their conventional division by 11%, and that's an example of you understand the road to run, the different road to run, there's no reason that organic, you know, being organic or, or chemical free um, need be less productive. In fact, there's, you're doing a poor job if it is because it's just different tools that you're using and you need to understand that. So it's, it's sort of an old school concept. You're going to fall on a heap and hopefully pick up on that because you've got higher premiums at some point. That's absolute nonsense. And we see that constantly. I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, in Canada, where I just was a couple of weeks back, um, there's a guy who's come and done, Andrew Mann's his name, he's done my course a couple of times, two or three times, and uh, he's got an organic farm with his, his family, um, and they've got it's like 120 acres, but they've got, a, just to sh show the potential, they've got a one acre greenhouse, you know, complete climate control greenhouse, where they're growing in the soil, um, they've, got, they've got, you know, they've introduced earthworms, they use predatory everything, they've, they're just growing all the, with a magnifying glass with the light on and, and do the counts and bring in predators when they need. They've got beehives, like little bumblebee hives and birds' nests. They've got cover crops underneath the capsicums, cucumbers and tomatoes, the most amazing disease-free tomatoes. But the spectacular thing is the yield. It's over $300, 318 from memory per square metre, which is $1.2 million an acre turnover. And then you start realising, I mean, we could feed 100 billion people if we, if we knew what we are doing. Um, and it's beautiful, beautiful high-quality food that he's producing, disease-free. Uh, he's just, you know, he spends $38,000 a year just on predatory, and you think, what happens with what you can do? You've got 1.2 million turnover on predatory organisms to keep everything um, in balance. So it's a wonderful showpiece of what's possible. Uh, and it's, it's mind-boggling. It's just a complete eye-opener to see. Uh, in India, where there's a guy who's done my programs now for three years, he's just won all sorts of awards with his coffee and it's lucky because he's a supplier to Starbucks and part of the change that's underway globally is that Starbucks have just announced they'll only buy chemical-free coffee, which is you would never have expected, but that's what they've done. Uh, we work with 5,000 grape growers in a big cooperative with Sahiadri in India. They're the biggest exporters of table grapes to Europe. They've just been informed that they've got to have completely chemical-free, tested in the European lab, chemical-free grapes. So, you know, the world is changing at quite a pace now. And, um, you know, it's great to be in that space to be able to help them to achieve that. It's so exciting, isn't it, Graham? And I can so relate to what you said about the farmers you get to work with in this space. I find the farmers I'm working with in the regenerative ag space the most inspiring, excited that, group of farmers on the planet. They're, the, they're just the best. I just love it. Yeah. You, couldn't be, you couldn't have a more, more satisfying job. Exactly. I totally relate to that. Um, one of the things I've particularly enjoyed at your workshops is how you link human health and soil health. Because like, to be honest, the human health is a huge motivation for why I love working with soil as well. Um, what do you think is the most urgent human health issue we can address through restoring soil health? Well, probably, 
Um, no, even if it's not relative to soil health in the first, I'll talk about a couple of things, but first is stress reduction. I mean, it is insane how stressed the entire world is, but the farming community, probably for good reason, trying mm -hmm. to, you know, this brave new world of climate change farming, it is really stressful. But I mean, I ask the question wherever I travel, and I speak to tens of thousands of people on a yearly basis, I ask the same question. I say, how many of you can say, in all honesty, you don't feel stress, on, stress and anxiety on a regular basis, you'd rather not feel? Who can tell me that they're stress-free? No one even turns around. I can have a class of hundreds. No one even turns around to see if anyone puts their hand up because I know there's going to be no hands up. Yeah. It's just a crazy scenario. But, you know, if you look, you know, that cliche that stress kills, and then you look at it in more depth, you find it's insane the number of ways that it impacts us. And so one of the things I do in the course is actually teach a variety of stress-reducing strategies, and even down to simple things like, you know, meditation is not necessarily about chanting some kind of Indian mantra. It's, it's just breath focus, and just you can sit on a bale of hay on the paddock and no matter how much you're multitasking, when you've got 50,000 thoughts, which is the average number of thoughts that race through our, our brains on a daily basis, you're really just putting a round, roundabout and slowing that process down. And there's so much research relative to multiple aspects of human health just by doing that for 10 minutes even a day. So I teach you know, a variety of those kind of strategies. And then you know, philosophical, different ways of how we can, how we can view things. Like, you know, concepts of, of being in the moment and then, of course, you've got wonderful opportunity to do, to do that on a farm. You know, if I think about how privileged we are and how much pleasure I have on my farm compared to those people in the traffic for an hour and a half down to Brisbane, sitting there with someone joined up, you know, a half a metre either side of them, staring at a square box all day. Uh, uh, and then, you know, it's a half life. You're breathing it's air-conditioned air and then you're back in your car again and that's your life. And you compare that to what you're doing out on the farm, you know, liaising with nature and the pleasure of it. And just the whole thing, it's just such a pathetic comparison to think what their lives are compared to the privileged life, really, that farmers get to live. Um, so, you know, that, that concept, very simple concept of the only field upon which the game of life happens is in the moment. You know, that if you can't say, well, I hate what I'm doing now, but in 15 years, I'll be happy when I retire. No, you won't. You just blew your life. Because mm -hmm. the whole meaning of life is the journey, not the end outcome. And you're supposed to be enjoying, you're supposed to wake up, yes, I'm into this. And you're supposed to enjoy every moment of the, of the journey because that is the meaning. It's not what's going to be there at the end. It's actually the journey that, that is what determines happiness and satisfaction in our lives. And so, so all of those kind of simple concepts of, you know, things like unconditional acceptance and so forth, you know, everything happens for a reason, those kind of things. And so if you accept that and at some point you realise there was a reason for whatever it was that you got stressed over at the time and lots of concepts like that, but... Uh, it's just a different way of seeing things. Farmers are often in tears at the end of my courses because they just hadn't thought through those things before. And, you know, they feel that they've got a bit of a solution now. So that's, so that's part of the story is the stress reduction. Then I talk about things like gut health and the fact that we now understand that every aspect of our... I mean, I was at a health conference in Rockhampton recently, two, um, one from Sydney University and one, one from um, QUT, uh, researchers talking about the human microbiome. One of them was looking at um, manic depression and the link between your gut. So they were both looking at something called fecal transplants. And this is a concept where you find someone who's bomb-proof, someone who's got this amazing, often inherited um, gut system that they can fight off anything, and they've just got a wonderful digestion and, and, and wonderful immunity, which is linked, of course, to the human, to the gut organisms. Uh, and so they pay those people to poo. I don't know what, how they describe their jobs, but you know, 400 <laughs> bucks, I think, a poo, and you try and get two poos in a day. It's quite a good income stream. 
Um, and then they take this person with a long-term chronic illness, in this case, manic depression, and a large group who have been long-term you know, bipolar, uh, and they nuke them. So you actually have a whole range of antibodies that kill everything. This is much more than just acidophilus and bifidus in the gut. It's a really diverse community, much like the soil. You kill everything. So you're actually a little bit fragile for a couple of days because you've got no, you've got nothing. And then they brew that other person's poo with all the organisms, which has got to be you know, collected within a day. Uh, and they put a tube up your bottom and they give you a transplant. It's called a fecal transplant. Well, this woman's going to publish later on, later next year. Uh, and she's talking like in the mid 80s percent cure rate of bipolar by changing. You know, they talk about the gut being the second brain. How much more evidence do you want? I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's some remark. And then there's a person, the other woman, was that company, she was in Sydney, where the Melbourne one, or the, or the Victorian one, but, sorry, the Sydney one, or the uh, QUT. But she was talking about a group of chickens. You've got a champion chicken who literally is laying more than one egg a day outperforming the other chickens and is kind of bomb proof. You can put coccidiosis, which is the largest chicken killer, into the water and the bird won't get it. And so they nuke the other birds with this mass of antibiotics. And then they introduce the poo, they dry it and somehow feed it in their food of the champion chicken. And you've got 50 champion chickens. You don't think that might be a future of animal breeding. It's very much what's on the cards at the moment. So, yeah. uh, it's, it's so, so, so the story of our guts is that we've assaulted them. I mean, you know, how does food stay in a, in a football field sized stadium, which we call a modern supermarket? Food lasts for a week if you don't dry it or salt it or freeze it. So how come it now lasts for two years? Well, you put what's nice and innocuous term called a food, food grade stabiliser. So you put sodium benzoate at 2.5% into your cornflakes, for example. Uh, and, you know, why would you think that that biocide that's going to kill single-cell spoilage organisms isn't going to impact your gut full of, of single-celled organisms? And it does. It's one of the second only to antibiotics, for example, and what it does. So we knock the hell out of our guts. And so we, we need to... Uh, replenish that. We need to be looking at prebiotics. I teach people how in the courses, and I'll be doing it in this course, I teach you how to make in 15 minutes, six months supply of what I call a rainbow sauerkraut. Fermented food is the link to every long living society, whether it's the longest living Asians, which are the Koreans with their kimchi and multiple other fermented foods that they eat twice a day usually, uh, or even back to people like the Hunters, the Georgians, so the longest living people that consume fermented, lack of fermented food on a daily basis. So I teach you how to make that and it's really delicious. It's this rainbow sauerkraut that I teach you how to make as part of that course. It's part of the strategy of, of, of looking after your gut organisms and recognizing the life within determines every aspect of your health. 85% of your immune system is down there uh, learning from your gut organisms. So, um, you know, it's so important and people haven't recognized that. So it's part of the, part of the human health focus. Yeah. And everything comes back to soil health and bringing life back in, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Yeah, and, and not just that. I mean, you know, the, the the most widely used chemical on the planet is glyphosate by far. Mm -hmm. It's just massive, and, and we now understand that the, that the mode of action of the world's most most widely used chemical it shuts. It's got three modes of action, but its principal mode of action is that it shuts down a pathway called the shikimate pathway. Now, the way that it was sort of got away with to introduce it was that mammals don't have a shikimate pathway, but the shikimate pathway involves. Uh, the utilisation and, and, and absorption of two amino acids that are integral to the immune system of all living things except mammals. So what we did effectively with glyphosate was give a form of age to the entire world. So this is, this is microbes, this is plants, that's how the plant dries, I'll talk about that in a moment. This is fish, birds, everything except mammals. Um, now, the fatal flaw in the argument that 
that we no worries, mate. We haven't got a sugar mate pathway. Is that we have got a hundred trillion organisms, ten times more than our total number of cells that do have a sugar mate pathway. And when you affect their immune system and your immune system's learning from them, what's the outcome? Well, we've got autoimmune diseases, fastest growing group of disease. You've got a one-on-one, -on -one, same line for the last 30 years, the growth of autism and Alzheimer's don't deviate from the line of increase of glyphosate sales. It is huge, the new understanding of what they're calling the new DDT and the need to start recognizing they're not going to be here and it can't be here. And the sooner the better, even though a lot of people scream and are upset at the fact of losing it, it is absolutely essential that we start recognizing that we have to get rid of that chemical. Some really good information there, Graham. And it's going to be exciting to have you and Nicole Masters presenting at the Christchurch workshop in February, where I'm sure participants will get a whole lot more information on the things we're touching on today. Graeme, what would be the most inspiring thing about being in agriculture at this point in time for you? Well, it's just the, uh, the awakening that I'm, and most many of us work in this field have seen it's almost like in the last three to four years, someone's flipped on a switch and there's this, mm. this massive awakening where people everywhere are recognising, farmers everywhere in every country are recognising that it's time for a change. So what we've seen effectively, you know, it's a 10 year, uh, sorry, a 10 decade, I call it modern agriculture as we call it, conventional agriculture. I call it, in inverted commas, the chemical experiment. You know, we tried solving our problems with chemistry. I mean, basically we had a German chemist who burned some material, analyzed the ash which contains the minerals, found it largely consisted of NPK, nitrogen, phosphorus and potassium. And so we began, you know, simple, simple common sense as the first cell uh, contains 74 minerals and there are no accidents in a perfect blueprint called nature. So we take a little bit off with each crop and from 10 decades we put three things back and later a couple of other additions. So we stripped, we mined our soils effectively for, um, for that period. And so now we're starting to realise that, you know, that's not working. That we'll put, the findings are that for 10 decades we've used more chemicals in agriculture every year. Last year 14.7% increase the year before 14.1, 13.9, every year more. And every year, wait for it, more pest and disease pressure. I mean, it's actually the definition of unsustainable. We're chucking on more and more chemicals for less and less response, and you can't keep doing that. And, and, that, and, and that's the recognition the farmers are saying, you know, I'm seeing that. When they hear you talk, you just see heads nodding. Wherever I speak, heads are just nodding, saying, yeah, that's what I'm seeing. That's why it's happening. And so, you know, it's, it's, really, it's, it's really neat to see people standing up now and saying, let's do something about this. And so we're seeing things like, um, you know, as I mentioned, that even the concept of monoculture is almost anti-science in terms of learning from nature. And so we're seeing we can bring in things like cocktail cover crops uh, and see such tremendous changes in short times with a four or five month cover cropping cycle. And it's become this really exciting phenomenon globally. This, uh, and so we talk about that in depth, both Nicole and I will be talking about, you know, all the strategies to make cover cropping work for you and why it works and how it works. And it's a really exciting technology that's based on it. The other thing that I'm seeing from a consumer's perspective globally is this move towards putting a face to your food. Farmers, consumers want to know how their food was produced, who produced it, how many chemicals were involved and you know, what it tastes like and be able to know, well, that's, that's, you're my food producer. And that's what farmers, we've got 69 farmers markets here on the Sunshine Coast and that's only 400,000 people. And sometimes there's quite a few of them that have as many as 10,000 people come through on a Saturday or Sunday and a Friday in that case. So, 
Uh, and that's part of people, when you see them, uh, every single store will have at least a third of the stand that will say chemical free. It doesn't have to be organic, but people want. And you just hear the term as you walk around those markets, is this chemical free? Is this chemical free? And that, that's the change. Now, okay. in Japan, it's called Kelso, and there's a whole chain of supermarkets that are based upon a farmer selling direct. There's no middleman. Uh, it's just farmers, farmers cooperatives selling direct on their supermarket chains to consumers. And your food is on your table. And if you're not delivering, you know, you've got a big photo of you and your family and your wife and your main key workers and your philosophy. I mean, we're talking huge, much bigger than A5, uh, behind every table in those supermarkets. And if, you, if, you, if you're not producing food that's forgotten flavors, extended shelf life and so forth, people don't come to your table and they say, sorry, mate, you're, you've moved on. So it's self-policing. It's a wonderful model. And I can't wait for it to come here because it will change things very quickly when we start introducing something like that. Yeah, it's exciting, isn't it? Um, and I, I, there's such a movement really starting to gain momentum um, with the more regenerative, chemical-free models of farming. It's only going to get better. Um, well, one, one other thing that really is driving some of the, because I'm working with people like Greenyard Farms, who are the largest food producers on the planet. I'm training their people. Uh, the Dole Corporation, the second largest, and Driscoll's are the largest dairy producers. I'm training all of those people. And so that's sort of a, a bit. But part of what's driving them is not necessarily, I'm not saying I'm not thinking that, um, but not necessarily that they're consumed about, you know, the health of their of the people eating their foods. Basically, their strategic advisors have said, look, there's a change coming and it's coming quickly and you'd better be on board rather than playing catch up. And part of that change, and it's a huge game changer, I know of three strategies, three technologies, which will be uh, introduced. One of them's already out there, the first 300 trial models, but they'll be out there uh, within the next year. So uh, basically those technologies, one of them involves a laser gun tied to a phone app where you can just walk into the supermarket and know exactly what nutrients and what chemicals are on your food. And you imagine how fast that's going to change things. When you go on Facebook, so I just checked my cornflakes and they've got uh, 14 chemicals in them and you spread that around the world. I mean, it's just, you know, everyone knows that everything changes at that point and we're right on the brink of that. So the cat's out of the bag essentially and what's on our food and what's in our food nutrient-wise and what's on our food chemical-wise. So we've got to, so everyone's saying, well, we've got to figure a way to change this, which is great, you know, and that's what's part of what's happening. Yeah, yeah, and it's going to just keep driving the market for farmers to do, a, do things better, which is exciting. Yes, it is. Um, we're, so, just going to make, we're just going to make sure they make some good money doing it. You know, exactly. What, that profitability thing is essential. You can be the best, but you've got to be profitable. You've got to, you know, it's just what it is. You do. And it's almost like we've got to account for the true costs in food production um, yes, so we can keep farmers in business growing us amazing food. Um, yes, so that's the challenge, isn't it, as we transition? Yeah. As we mentioned before, yourself and Nicole Masters are co-presenting a five-day workshop in Christchurch from the 17th to the 21st of February 2020. It's going to be the event of the year on forecasting. Are there any key learnings you're hoping farmers to attend, take away and implement when they go home? Well, you know, I've, I, I ran a health festival in conjunction with the Woodford Folk Festival. I put together 16 speakers over eight years and we had as many as 15,000 people coming to that festival within a festival. And it was pretty hard to um, select because my criteria was that you've got to find people who can educate, entertain and inspire all in one. And there's not many people out there that can do all three of those things. And I think that what people are going to see is two people um, at, at the height of their skills, um, Nicole and myself. And, you know, we, we can guarantee you that you'll get that, that, that trio will be delivered in no short um, amount sort of thing. 
Um, we've got some really neat farmers from around the world that are going to be sharing their experiences. And basically, you're going to learn about all the dynamics of soil health, how you have a healthy soil, how you have disease-resistant crops and create a disease-resistant soil, um, every aspect of crop health and crop monitoring, simple things like, like for example, how do, you how do you manage what I call the money mineral, which is potassium, and it's so simple to uh, actually monitor top leaf and bottom leaf, which is one of the many, many strategies we teach. But for many people, it's been a game changer. So you measure with a meter the top leaf, bottom leaf, and they need to be the same, because potassium is so mobile that You'll never know if you're measuring from the top leaf and doing a traditional leaf test because it could have left the lower leaf a month ago and you, by the time the whole plant's drained and you've picked it up in the first fully developed leaf, which is what you use for leaf testing, yeah. your plant's been out of potassium, the money mineral, the thing that sizes your crop for at least a month. And so that's not a good way to do it. But in the field, in one minute, you can check top leaf, bottom leaf, they need to be the same in potassium. And if they're not, you've got a 10% lower on the bottom leaf, it's already started draining, you're out of potassium and fix it. And that's, there's dozens of practical strategies that really can change the whole game for you as a farmer when you learn about these things. So, and there'll be, you know, business health, there'll be the health of the self, health of the planet. Um, it's going to be really exciting. There's no one leaves. I mean, in my courses, people fill out response forms. So we've got 10 out of 10 on every measurable indice for the last five or six people, you know, it really is something special. And with Nicole and myself, we've not worked together before. It may be something, something we do again. Uh, I think it's going to work and, and uh, it's, it's a great experiment. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. Look, you two are some of the best educators I've had the joy of learning from in agriculture. So to have you both in one room for a week, it's going to be amazing, I'm sure. Um, Thank you so much, Graham, for joining me today on the Integrity Soils podcast. I hope this conversation has inspired our listeners to take their agricultural businesses to the next level. If you have enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe to our podcast and share it with your networks.